Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You are listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast, brought to you by Green and Blacks. Wildly, deliciously, organic. Discover a different kind of dark. Welcome back to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Now, before I tell you about today's episode, I wanted to begin by talking about the intimate images of Irish women that were leaked from private social media accounts without consent and without their knowledge in some cases. These images were reported to have been widely shared in forums on Discord an online messaging platform. A spokesperson for Discord has said that as soon as the website became aware of this server, we permanently deleted it and identified and banned the approximately 500 users involved. As many of you will know, it's not currently a crime in Ireland to share intimate or explicit images on a non-consensual basis. The alleged incident last week sparked huge public concern. Justice Minister Helen McEntee said she hoped related legislation, which has been working its way through the Oireachtas since 2017, will be passed by the end of the year and it's going to make such actions a crime for the first time in this country. Just a bit of background to it, the files were first uncovered by the Victims Alliance, a lobby group representing victims of crime. Linda Hayden, the group's founder, said it first uncovered a server with a file containing 11,000 images, which were mostly of Irish women. And after searching through more websites and servers, the group said it's now aware of at least 140,000 stolen images of women. In some cases, there are multiple pictures of the same women or duplicates of the same image. The government this week, as I said, agreed to support a new law that would make sharing such images without consent a crime. And the new bill would see seven year prison sentences for those who share intimate images without consent and with intent to cause harm. And like I said, Helen McEntee wants to see that legislation in by the end of the year. Now, there was a petition online to make what used to be called revenge porn, but we know now is better, much better described as image based sexual abuse to make that a crime in Ireland. And the petition got 72,000 signatures. And just also to add that this week, the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris was coming in for some criticism because he said that there's actually no crimes under investigation in this jurisdiction at this moment in time in relation to these images. But at the same time, as an organisation, we're very aware of coercive control, the harassment of individuals, the problem of images being used to intimidate people and blackmail people as a form of image-based sexual abuse. So we will be keeping up with this subject on the podcast. Of course you will over the next weeks and months, but... This week on the Women's Podcast, we've been mostly thinking about Dara Quigley, the young woman who was detained under the Mental Health Act in 2017. CCTV footage of her walking naked and being detained was kept by the guards and a guard recorded the CCTV footage and sent them over WhatsApp, where it was shared over 125,000 times. And as we know, days after this, Dara Quigley died by suicide and the Garda accused of sharing the footage did not face criminal charges. Uh, Dara's mother Aileen was on social media this week calling for a change in the law. And as we know in this country and especially we know as women, it takes time for change to come, but it does happen. And this, if it is enacted by the end of the year by Helen McEntee, is a huge change that will protect women and girls in this country. And we're very glad to see it happening. Now, later in today's episode, we're going to be talking to Rhonda Byrne, who is the woman behind the book many of you will have heard about and possibly read because it has sold, wait for it, 35 million copies. The Secret is the name of that book. And she's just brought out a new one called The Greatest Secret. And she says that the book is perfect for these pandemic times. There have been lots of times in my life where I thought the world was going to end, you know, that, that, that somebody had their button on the atomic bomb and there have been that many world situations where we went through 
things where we we just thought we were all done for. And, you know, those things are always going to continue. And so when the pandemic's gone, you know, there'll be something else around. But now is the opportunity to live a life without fear and to and to have the happiness that is is within you. And, uh, and it's not hard to do. It's not hard. It's really simple. It's just a little one step at a time. It's just one step. And, and then when something comes along, you will find yourself in this peaceful happiness and you will marvel, absolutely marvel at how you feel. But before we come to Rhonda Byrne, I wanted to tell you about Gabriela Suarez, who is a woman in Atlanta, America, that since being diagnosed with a terminal illness has been writing a newsletter, keeping all her friends updated on her life and illness. And she's a Mexican, but as I said, she's living in Atlanta and she's been writing a blog for her friends. And it it was sent to me and I just thought it was really uh, lovely and something that you all might like to hear. I wanted to read you an extract of it. So this is from Gabriella, Gabby to her friends. And Gabby says, recently I discovered an Irish writer called Marion Keyes. She's sharp, smart, funny, and she laughs at herself. She also suffers from depression in a very funny way. She explains how she goes to the chemist to collect her mad tablets and she spends the time that it takes the chemist to put them together to go through the store looking for all kinds of wonderful findings. Europe's drugstores really are fantastic and Marion is fabulous, as she calls it. You should try to get yourselves acquainted with both. But anyway, the point is that she suffers from depression. She calls it being mad in the head. I am currently suffering from mad in the head. It's mad, I know, because I'm physically stronger than I've been in months. And the last scan showed good results from the treatment and all that jazz. But our body's chemistry and our personal circumstances sometimes collapse and the world in our heads feels like being in Alice in Wonderland. The initial months were easy because what I had to do was turn on my business brain and focus on goals, get the will finished, find the place where I will be buried, start sorting out the disability, the insurance, go to hospital, start taking meds and all of that. Now my brain and my spirit seem to be crazily flowing back and forth from a desire to live and do as much as possible, a fear to die and a similar fear to live like this with no end in sight. And just when I think I'm holding tightly to the happiness of a good book or a lovely bake, in slips the cold grip of death. And then, with hardly any separation, I feel so tired of having no purpose. And then I think, oh God, I cannot write about this. They will think it's all so pathetic. There's loads of tears and lovely sons that tell me I haven't ruined anything and all will be all right and hold me in their arms. But still the tears flow I'm telling you, it's like Alice in Wonderland. I am definitely suffering from mad in the head and I think I will need time to get it sorted. So it just struck me. That isn't it amazing? All the way over in Atlanta, a woman who is very sick uh, and not Irish is completely relating to one of our best love writers and great friend of this podcast, Marion Keyes. And I just wanted to send loads of love to fabulous mad in the head Gabby because many of us are no stranger to being a bit mad in the head over here and we think you are brilliant courageous and a wonderful mother so mind yourself Gabby we're thinking of you over here in Ireland and we are wishing you all the best Now, we're gearing up for our Four Wise Women How to Survive Christmas 2020 event this evening, Thursday, 8 p.m. And we're sorry to say it's sold out. But for the 500 of you who've registered, do let us know on social media using the hashtag IT4WiseWomen if you've any Christmas conundrums you want our Four Wise Women to sort out. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook at IT Women's Podcast. Or you can email us with your Christmas related queries to the women's podcast at irishtimes.com. Now, Rhonda Byrne is the creator behind The Secret, a documentary film that swept the world in 2006. Oprah was a massive fan, you won't be surprised to hear. And it changed millions of lives, uh, according to the creator, and also ignited a global movement. The following year, Rhonda's book The Secret was released, which was translated into 50 languages and remains one of the longest running bestsellers of this century, selling 35 million copies. It's amazing. She's had other bestselling titles, including The Power 
Power, The Magic and Hero. Rhonda was born in Australia and now lives in California. She was formerly a TV executive in her native Australia. She has a net worth of $100 million and her new book, The Greatest Secret, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The Greatest Secret was written just before the pandemic hit and it's been highly anticipated. I think this is a little more of an unusual interview for the women's podcast in that the concepts Rhonda talks about might feel a little bit intangible. But at a time when we are all grappling with how to live and how to find some order and control in our lives when everything seems to have gone so disorderly, I think the book, which is full of quotes from various teachers of ancient wisdom, might have something to teach us. Now, keep an open mind is what I'd say. Rhonda says that reading the book can help take us out of suffering and into happiness and that the key to that is inside all of us. Sure, have a listen to our conversation and make up your own minds. Here she is, Rhonda Byrne. Rhonda Byrne, we're delighted to have you on the Women's Podcast. Um, your new book is called The Greatest Secret, but many of the people listening today will be very familiar with your other book, which is just called The Secret. And I thought it might be a good idea to start out with the story of of The Secret and how you came up with that phenomenally successful book that resonated with so many people. It was 2004 and I had really one of those years that was just a tough year. My my father died really suddenly, uh, totally unexpected, and uh, and that was just shocking, really. And because my parents were just love at first sight, the moment they saw each other, and it remained that way all of their lives. Uh, my mother was just grief stricken, so it was sort of a double whammy, you know, because of the devastation for our mother. And, um, and I happen to be making, uh, I have a production company in Australia and I was making six uh, television movies about unsolved murders at the time. And so I couldn't have immersed myself in a world darker than, darker than that. <laughs> and so it was everything that could possibly go wrong in making of those movies went wrong. And we just had all kinds of things happen. Edit suites blow up and people had to leave and normally we would have, have, have production team all the way through to the end of the project and all kinds of things happened to the people who were working on it. And, and plus it was harrowing, you know, dealing with family and, and so on. So it was really, really tough. I was sleeping on edit suite floors and my relationships were in tatters because I hadn't been in touch with anybody and I reached a point in September where I was really really struggling and we still had one and a half movies to to finish and my accountant called me this one particular night on the 9th of September and he and he said to me you've run over budget by two million dollars and you'll be broke in 30 days, you'll lose everything you own, including your home and everything. And um, so that was just like I I had no way to kind of fix or or solve that. And I no sooner hung up the phone, it was absolutely incredible, and it rang, and it was almost one of those situations where I thought, oh, the phone had got confused or something. But, no, it was my mother, and my mother was just, she was just saying, I can't go on. You know, she was so grief-stricken. And um, and she was quite a distance away from me. And by this time, it was it was really late at night. And so I sort of talked to her for a while and, and got her feeling better and said I'd be there early in the morning. And And I hung up from her and I just collapsed into tears and despair because I'd fixed everything all my life. I I I, I would always look for solutions and I'd always fix everything. And these things were greater than I could possibly fix. And so I think for the first time in my life, I absolutely surrendered and collapsed. And, um, and in that moment, my daughter, uh, my adult daughter who was living with me at the time, came and asked me what was wrong. And I didn't really go into what was wrong. I didn't want her to see that I was so upset and... Um, Anyway, she disappeared and came back with this crumpled uh, paper, um, all dog-eared and everything on the corners with a bulldog clip on it, and she just said, handed it up to me and said, read this, it will help. Now, 
and disappeared. And, and what's even more extraordinary is I read it on the spot. I mean, here I had, you know, the whole sky falling in. And, and so I just moved to, I, I had been sitting on a balcony and I moved to the light and I started reading this book, which was written in 1910. And I remember my tears hitting the pages and the ink running um, as I read it. The book is called The Science of Getting Rich. It is available for free download on our website. So if anybody wants to get it, it's there to, to read. And it was written by Wallace Wattles in 1910. And so when I read that book, I, like, I thought I knew so much, but I knew more than was in the book. And I can't explain how I knew more than was in the book, but I did that book just sort of opened me up. It's like the universe did a massive download um, at, at the time when I was reading the book because many people have read it afterwards and you can see some of the principles of the secret in there, like gratitude, for example, but you really can't see all of the secret. But for me, it was all of the secret. For me, when I read it, I knew. I absolutely, I knew so many things and I actually knew many things that are in The Greatest Secret as well. And so um, I didn't say anything to anybody, uh, but I knew the world didn't know the power of our thoughts and the power of our mind. Um, and so I just then researched. And what I did was I, I read everything that Wallace Wattles had written, which wasn't that much, and I looked for his mentor and I found his mentor and then I read everything his mentor had written and I went back mentor to mentor to mentor to mentor back through history. And I went actually all the way back to the Emerald Tablet. So I did a gigantic leap from about year 1000 to way back to Emerald Tablet times. And so I was tracing this knowledge all through history and it was there. It was there to see. But if you, unless you knew what you were looking for, you would just miss it. And so I spent three months heavily researching and practicing it. And the first thing that I did to practice it, which might be interesting for people, is that at the time that I discovered this, I was wearing reading glasses. And so I'd been taking them on and taking them off and, um, and I need, I, they needed uh, upgrading to the next level because they weren't working as well. And I put them on and I thought, oh, my gosh, I realised that I had believed a whole lot of thoughts that had been given to me that as you get older, your eyesight gets less, da-da-da-da, and all of these stories, and, you know, and you have to move things further away from your eyes. And, and I just had this, like, life flash of all of these things that were said to me that I believed. And so, and I believed them, then, of course, my eyesight uh, diminished exactly according to my belief. So I just sat there and I visualised being able to read in planes, read in read menus in dark restaurants, um, and and I would say to myself, I can see clearly. I can see clearly. Now I honestly expected to wake up the next day, and that I could. I didn't need the glasses, but I woke up the next day and I still needed the glasses. But in three days, I did not, and I've never needed glasses ever since. You know, my my eyesight's absolutely fine. <laughs> And so that's just the power that our mind has over our body and it also has incredible power of the world. So anyway, back to the secret in the January of 2005, I went to my team. I, I actually called my accountant and I said, you have to do whatever it takes to keep my company going. I've discovered something that's going to affect the entire world. He must have thought I was crazy. <laughs> and, um, and you just have to keep my company going while I do this. And so he did, you know, we mortgaged my home. We, you know, we did everything. And um, I don't even know how, how it happened, to tell you the truth, because it cost a lot of money to make the documentary and we didn't have any, any investors. So I don't know, money just came when I needed it. And, and so I, I told our team, this is what we're going to do. And, um, and by this stage, after three months, there wasn't a single question you could ask me that, uh, that I could answer every question. So I was really clear about the secret. I'd also discovered all of the teachers that I wanted to be in the secret. And so, and that's really how it began. 
And then after making the documentary, uh, Simon and Schuster it was came and said, we want you to write the book. And I said, oh, I'm not a writer. Um, I, I always knew there would be a book, but I didn't think I would be the one who would write it. And they said, no, you have to write it. It's got to be you. And so I wrote the book. And, uh, and there you have it. 35 million copies of a book. I mean, it, it's quite incredible. And just um, even though it sold a lot of copies, for any people listening who haven't heard of it, could you explain that um, key sort of belief in the book, which is the law of attraction, which you've kind of described there with the reading glasses? Um, and that's kind of the main message that people got from it and what, what attracted people, that you could manifest your own life, your own fortune in your life. And, and that we are actually manifesting 24-7, whether we realise it or not, because it's a law of the mind. And I'll, I'll kind of, for those people who've read The Secret, I'll describe it a little differently from the way it is in The Secret, So, um, because I'm always looking for simpler ways and, uh, to describe it. And so it's really a law of, our, law of our mind and a law of thought. So therefore it's incredibly fair because we all think, you know, and so it's very fair. And so whatever we think and then believe is what will appear in our life and what will manifest in our life. And if it's something we want, it will appear. If it's something we don't want, it will also appear. So the law is like gravity. It, 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 it's no discerner of persons. You know, it, it's just working 24-7 all of the time. And, and so the idea is to... Think about what you want and that's all you'll ever get in your life. But we have a tendency and the mind has a tendency to be negative and, uh, and send us perilously <laughs> into thoughts of what we don't want and then we suffer. So, um, but it is, it's liberating because um, it's liberating because it makes you become very aware of your thoughts and we need to become aware of our thoughts because our mind is, is a fantastic tool, but it is not meant to be running our life and it is not our psychotherapist and it's not the authority over our life, yet it acts as all of us. You know, it acts as our psychiatrist, our psychotherapist. It's always commenting on everything, you know, absolutely everything, like nonstop um, for people that haven't really looked and become aware of their thoughts. So, it can, you know, it can be like a really bad flatmate <laughs> just talking, you know, talking nonstop. And so the first step to freedom for every single human being is to understand the power of your mind. That is the first step to freedom and understand the incredible power that your mind has to manifest. And, and then you become more aware of your thoughts and then you become more aware when you start to get caught up in a drama and talking about something you don't want, which I'm sure many people have done this year, you know, spent quite a lot of time um, having fearful thoughts and talking about what they don't want. Um, and so rather to, um, you know, to this was the year to think about health. This was the year. For me, when all of this happened, I just, you know, I, I, I would just make sure, like I used to do affirmations all the time, but with this being so consuming around the world, I just would wake up and I would just be, thank you for my health. That's all I did each day, you know, and that will, that will just keep you well. In the meantime, you've written uh, The Power is another one of your New York Times bestsellers. And now you have The Greatest Secret. And let's talk a bit about that now, because you have The Secret, and I suppose it's only one word in, di in the difference, but it's a quite a different book, would you say? Or how did you come to this new understanding? It's it's a lot about how we none of us have to suffer if we stay in our awareness. I suppose is the, is the key message from that. Could you maybe explain that a bit and explain how you came to it? Yes. Uh, so from the secret, once discovering the truth of the power of our mind, uh, I I knew there must be more truth, and so. I just began an incredible search, that unceasing search, where I searched seven days a week. And I was able to search seven days a week because it was my, it was my job, it was my work. And so I, I studied um, many different uh, 
uh, philosophies, spiritual traditions, religions, uh, and looking for the truth. And I was doing that incessantly for 10 years. And I would find little things along the way that were, um, you know, quite incredible, which, you know, people might not know about. But none of them did I feel was really a huge truth, like what I was looking for. And so, and then in um, January 2016, I had a life situation occur that, uh, that had me feel really deep disappointment. And I was so surprised that I could feel such a deep disappointment uh, when I always felt so good because I lived by the secret principles. So my life was absolutely incredible, unrecognizable from what it had been before. And, and so I just didn't understand and what, and I knew I didn't want to go to sleep with this feeling. Um, and the feeling was uncomfortable because I never felt anything like that. And, and so what I did was I grabbed my iPad and I thought, oh, I'm just going to watch something spiritual and so that the feeling will ever away. And I, I put on a show called Conscious TV and, they, and I saw this interview with a man who was not a teacher or anything, who's just an everyday person like us, and he had discovered what he called the truth. And he said, when you discover the truth, your search will be over. And I was just couldn't fathom that because I thought I'd be searching all of my life. And so I listened to him and I, I don't even think I fully woke up to what he was saying in that interview even. Um, but I did what he had done and that was he had listened to a podcast and that had suddenly woke him up to the truth. So I listened to that podcast and then I reached out to him. He's in the UK and I reached out to him and I spoke with him on the phone. And these three things happened over a period of like two days. And, and then I saw this truth. It was like a massive, massive second awakening. And I was just, wow. Uh, 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 I was like, how did I miss this? How did I miss it? And, um, and David was really wonderful. And I even think I had a couple of calls with him and he said to me, now you need to take this to the world. And I, I just said, to him, I laughed, you know, and uh, I said, oh, I don't know that I, I can do that. And he said, yes, you can. You can. You, you're the one who can take it to the world. And so I began collecting all kinds of notes and quotes of all the teachers that had been part of my journey and um, and then this year, at the beginning of this year, I actually attempted to write the book in 218 and it just didn't feel like it flowed. And then end of 219, I opened my computer again and nothing flowed. And so I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to write it. And then 2020 in January, I opened up my computer. It was like a tsunami. I was just rushed or the book just rushed through me. And basically five and a half weeks later, it was written. And we, I then did a lot of work with my team members in structuring the book and everything, and then it went to Har HarperCollins. And so that was my journey to The Greatest Secret. So really the greatest secret is the journey, my journey of 14 years from The Secret to The Greatest Secret. And it also includes the people that changed my life and their words that completely changed my life. Every person in the book changed my life dramatically. And, uh, and so that's how The Greatest Secret came to be. Green and Blacks, wildly, deliciously organic. A selection of ethically sourced flavours combined with a rich cocoa intensity. I know lots of people listening will be will be wanting to know what the greatest secret is and what the truth was that you discovered from that man. Can you distill it for us? Uh, it's the truth of uh, the truth about us, who we really are, and it's the truth behind the world. So we are much more than what we think we are. You know, if you like me, you <laughs> like I've been in my life, you think that well, you're this person, and you know, you had a you, you the beginning of you was when you were born, and then the end of you, you die, 
at the end of it. And then who knows what happens after that. But that was kind of the way that I viewed myself and I am this flesh and bone, you know, um, there's, it's finite and it's very limited and all of those things. But, but, the, but the truth is we're none of those things. We are far greater than, than what we realise and the, the suffering, all of the suffering that we experience and especially the suffering that people may have gone through this year uh, is because of our mistaken identity and, and believing, you know, and, and allowing our mind to cover up who we really are because it, it is our attention that we give to thinking that has prevented us from seeing the truth. So we give all of our attention to thinking and listening to the thoughts in our head and our mind then has this kind of obscures, obscures the truth and, and our mind is the source of all of our suffering, um, all of the fearful thoughts and everything that, that we suffer from. It's, we suffer from the thoughts of things rather than the actual things and there are some things that some, just a few steps to take so that the impact of the reveal of who you really are will will, will be life-changing. But then, of course, the book, on a very practical level, um, shows people how to be free of all negativity, which is all negative thoughts and all negative feelings. And they're just the most incredible practices. So if that was all anybody ever wanted from the book, that's life-changing. And I'm speaking from experience because... I have, from the time that I discovered this, I have used these practices. So I'm speaking for how they have changed my life. One of the things I found very interesting, Rhonda, was this practice of welcoming that you describe in terms of negative feelings that we're used to kind of trying to get rid of negativity and to, you know, run away from it. And your practice of welcoming it, you say, is transformative in terms of eradicating negative things from your life. Could you explain it a little bit for us? Yes, yes, because with negative feelings, they're not very pleasant, we would all agree. And, um, and so we have this tendency, which we have done since we were children, it's kind of a learned um, habit from when we were children. We have this tendency to, to want to push them away. But unfortunately, when we push negative feelings away, we're actually pushing them down inside us. We're suppressing them inside us. And so, and that negative energy plays havoc on our body and our health, and it plays havoc on our life as well, because those negative feelings will throw up negative thoughts that are connected to those feelings. And so it's, it's a bit of a, a cycle and it's not a lot of fun. And so we always have like pushed away the things that we don't like and, and kind of welcomed the things that we like. And the practice that will change all of it and will help you be free of negative feelings forever is to welcome those feelings and um, and so welcoming is the opposite to resisting if you imagine resisting is pushing away and so welcoming is bringing something in close and kind of putting your arms around it that's the way I sort of describe it and so if you feel a feeling arise so let's say it's frustration it's always going to appear to be connected to something in the world but the feeling was already inside of you. And so if frustration arises, it's because frustration is suppressed inside of you. So, so let's say some frustration arises over something that you wanted and it didn't happen. And so this feeling of frustration or impatience arises. So normally, unconsciously, we would push that away. So the moment you feel that feeling, what you do is you allow that feeling to be, or what I do, is I welcome it. And so I just kind of imagine that I'm bringing that feeling in really close and I'm like, you can be here, basically. You can be here feeling. And, and as you welcome it, it can, not necessarily all the time, but it can intensify for about one second or two seconds and then the most incredible thing happens. It just dissolves really fast. You just feel it just completely dissolve. And as it dissolves, the relief that you feel after it dissolves, has you realised the impact that that feeling had on your entire body? And so the next time frustration appears, it will not be as strong 
because you have re released some of the energy of it. And so you do it again and again you release it. And then if it appears again, now it's going to be really weak. And so you release it again. And then once it's been fully released, it's impossible for you to ever feel frustration again. Rhonda, I was feeling a bit frustrated with my children earlier and I've just been practicing that as you were speaking and I did feel it lift a bit. The other thing I would like to um, ask you about is awareness, because to me, that was another huge part of the book. Now, most people, their concept of awareness is very different to the one that you are talking about. Is it possible for you to explain that to us um, in a succinct way? Because it's quite a big thing, but in another way, it's quite simple. Well, it's um, without going through all the processes in the book, um, it's kind of, uh, I mean, there's only, let me say this, um, uh, there's only one awareness. There are not two. There's only one. Um, there's only one in existence. And so the awareness of, what we're sitting on right now or the awareness of what we're hearing now and people listening to this and the one that's listening to this is awareness. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not the person, it's awareness that is listening to this. And so it's awareness is, has, is, is basically 100% of our life. Uh, but we, have, we, we are not aware, we're not aware of it because we are usually listening to the thoughts in our head. And so we're not really aware of this awareness that is there all of the time because we can't have any life experience without awareness. It's not possible. Like you're aware of your name, you're aware that you've woken up, you're aware that you're walking to get your breakfast, you're aware that you're under the shower. If you weren't aware then you wouldn't know that you woke up. You wouldn't know you're under the shower. You wouldn't know you're walking to have breakfast. You wouldn't know your the name your the name that you've been given. You wouldn't know your family. Like your your awareness is what is aware of your family, and so it's massive in our lives. It's uh, huge in our lives, but it's been overlooked because we have so many beliefs in what we think that we are that we're this limited person and we've got the mind gives us a story. Oh, you were born here and you came out of this family and, and you know, this runs in your family and, uh, um, and you, you know, you, you're not very good physically. You're, you're better, you know, intellectually or you're not very good intellectually but you're great at sport. I mean, there are so many stories that the mind tells about us. And we believe those stories and all of those stories are limiting because we are not limited by anything at all, you know, and, and this is why it's called the greatest secret because there is not anything greater than this, than knowing who you are because the story that all of us have bought into, most of us have bought into, isn't true and that story causes a lot of suffering. Um, enormous amount of suffering, actually. So, so to be free of negativity. Now, I let me speak for myself, because I, from the last four years, I now, I just don't have any negative feelings. You know, the the things that used because I've welcomed them all, and I would actually love a couple to come up because I love the feeling of welcoming them and making them dissolve. Uh, but I, my life is I just have this foundation of happiness that is there every second of every day. No matter what is being discussed, no matter what is being talked about, no matter what is happening, and I've been through some pretty big events, you know, that people would consider very fearful or whatever, um, and yet I just, there's just this happiness and I'm, I'm, I'm just like, well, I don't mind what happens because... I just know I'm going to be happy no matter what because the happiness just has never left me now. And that's the other thing about The Greatest Secret is as these negative feelings dissolve, the happiness increases until the happiness never leaves you. Now, I want everybody to know that there is this unlimited happiness inside every person right now. This is not something you have to go and get or achieve or, or strive for or struggle for. 
all of this happiness is your true nature and it is inside you right now. And the only thing that is preventing you from feeling it is negative feelings and negative thoughts. So the really basically the mind. And so as you release and as you welcome negative feelings, as I explain in the book, and, and it's a, there's two processes in the book, one's a three-step and one's a two-step, as you, as you release those feelings, you will just become happier and happier and happier. And when we are happy, then it's just like, it's like the whole universe is conspiring on our behalf. Life becomes absolutely effortless and everything just seems to go our way and happen for us and life just becomes absolutely incredible. And you're just existing in this beautiful peace no matter what bumpy things are going on, you know, outside in the world. And, um, yes, it's just a life that I, it's just an incredible way to live our lives. It's, I, I know it's the way we're meant to live our lives. Well, I was going to ask you, Rhonda, because people might say, no, like life is suffering and we're supposed to suffer. But your thesis is very different, isn't it? You don't think there has to be the suffering, but we've been sold that idea. We've been sold it for sure. And uh, and suffering has its place because, because it was through suffering that I discovered, you know, I discovered that they're the greatest moments of my life. And and. Uh, through through extreme suffering, I made some of the greatest discoveries I ever made, and I know it's the case for a lot of people. Because when life's going along okay, um, we we don't really ask any questions. But if we get hit really hard with something that knocks us to the ground, which you know I've had happen to me, then you ask questions. You really you. It's like your mind opens. It's like your heart opens. It's like. You just want answers because because the suffering is a lot, and I I suffered a great deal with one of my daughters who um, who was very very sick for you know and, and uh, for all of her life all of well from late twenties basically, um, and and it was so hard. And the part that was hard was that I had this dream of of what my daughter's lives would be like. And so her life that she was living was nothing like that dream. And it was, it was diametrically opposite to that dream. And so I suffered enormously because I had this idea in my mind of what her life would be like and I was not accepting what her life, how her life had ended up being. And so, and plus I was very afraid that she would die and so I suffered enormously over many, many years with that. Now, my daughter is just, you know, she's, she's um, the same as she always was, but I don't suffer anymore over that. And that took, you know, a lot of, of, um, of welcoming feelings, you know, welcoming fear and welcoming feelings. And now I can be far more to her than I ever was because when I was in fear and in denial, I was of no use to her, mm. you know. But now I'm just, I, I'm just, I think it's a miracle, an absolute miracle that she's alive and I'm so grateful that she's alive. And, you know, she, she's tough to handle on some days. <laughs> but, um, but my life with her is very different. So I'm just really explaining this because, um because I have seen some things and been through some th- some experiences, but now the happiness remains. And um, and so suffering, I, and I'd like to just define suffering because um, because I think sometimes we could think, oh, if somebody's lost a loved one, they're suffering, or or if they if they're going through a really tough disease, they're suffering. And but but I don't suffer, you know. But suffering is is experiencing any negative feelings. That's what suffering is. If you if you're feeling impatience that's suffering if you're feeling disappointment if you're feeling some anger um if you're feeling any negative feelings that's suffering because our true nature is happiness and so any feeling that is not happiness is suffering 
I think that's quite radical for for people to accept, but it it makes sense as well. And what you're saying is that there's a way to live in peace without all those negative negative things through the practices you describe in the book. One question that you ask people to ask themselves uh, is, am I the one suffering or am I the one that is aware of the suffering? And you say that the truth is that you are the one that is aware of the suffering rather than the one suffering. Now, that's Again, quite deep, but quite simple. What you're saying is, if you're being the awareness, if you're observing the suffering, then it's not actually happening to you. But when we're suffering, we kind of think it is happening to us. Yes, well, if we, um, when we're identified with it, then it really hurts us a lot, you know, and we will really feel the suffering to the full tilt. However, if we just look and ask ourselves that question, Am I the one that is suffering or am I the one that is aware of the suffering? Immediately in asking that question, we have created a, a gap, like a space, like there's, there's this moment where we have disidentified with the suffering. And, and in truth, if we really, really look at it, and it is incredibly simple, even though the mind might like to try and complicate it, <laughs> the mind might say, oh, you've had a lot of suffering. Let's face it. You know, the mind will come in. Oh, let's face it. You know, what's she talking about? You've had a lot of suffering. But, but if you really look at it and say, well, which one am I? Am I the one that is aware of the suffering or am I the one that's suffering? Well, we are the one that's aware of the suffering. And so what happens is the suffering gets disempowered because the suffering is just energy, you know, and so it gets those negative feelings become, get disempowered and so the energy is taken out of them, out of it, which allows it to dissipate, you know, and drop away. And so that's why that question, and I, I mean I asked that question of myself so much. I mean I had a health situation come up and um, and so I was just, I was really like buying into it, <laughs> you know, oh, I really, I really identified with it, you know, become my identity. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> Rhonda, can you tell people then just finally, because I, I've, I, you're, I'm very grateful for your time, what can people expect to get from The Greatest Secret? And especially, I suppose, maybe to talk to people who might be a bit cynical about this kind of stuff, because it is quite spiritual. And, you know, some people might not feel that they are spiritual or that they are religious. Um, what would you say to people who might need a bit of persuading what is it that they can expect to get from the book the book is designed to relieve people of suffering and to lead them into the happiness of their true nature that's the whole thing of the book and so it's to end suffering and there is a chapter called the end of suffering so it is to end suffering end the the mind's you know negative thoughts and feelings and, and to move into a state of happiness. So really it's to be free, you know, it's to, it's, it's to be free of negativity. And, and, I mean, I don't, you know, spiritual is particular kind of way. I only see it as truth. I don't see it as, uh, as uh, well, you need to be spiritual because one of the things that I felt was I wanted to find a way to freedom for people that didn't involve being cross-legged meditating for 25 years and because I basically knew people wouldn't do that. The average person wouldn't do it. Some people are meditating, but, but I'm like, that's not the answer for people to be free of pain and struggle and suffering. It has to be much easier than that. And so I, don't, I, don't, I see this book as a, as a way for it to be easier and it's really, you know, if you... If, people just did the practice of welcoming negative feelings, they would see their life change just mm. from that one thing, just doing that. Their life would, would completely change. So, yes, it's basically mm. the way to happiness and the way out of suffering. If somebody feels that that would be good for them in their life because I'm not here to convince anybody of anything. The people who are ready, they will hear it mm. and the ones, not will not and everything's perfect just the way it is 
Rhonda, I was thinking as I was reading the book, um, I've done quite a few meditation courses and done that cross-legged stuff and, uh, uh, you know, those 10-day silent retreats and I've been to India and I've been on sacred mountains. I was on the, I was actually in the place of Ramana Ashram, you know, one of those teachers that you talk about there is, um, and walked around the mountain and all of that thing. It was funny reading your book that I actually, um, even just reading the words, some of the passages, I found myself back in that place um, that I was, say, cross-legged for all those hours on the floor. And I think that's why I'm really um, listening to what you're saying there. I think you maybe have found a, a short circuit to that um, to that experience, which we do sort of think we have to suffer for or we have to go and go into India or we have to go and do hours of yoga or we have to sit on the floor and meditate. And what you're saying, I suppose, is that we don't necessarily have to do that. We don't have to do it at all. Because, because everything that everybody is looking for is right here. It's not out there in the world. It's not in a cave. It's not, you know, it, it's not like I would love to be at Ramana's Mountain. <laughs> um, but, but uh, and, and, you know, sometimes those things, you know, the energy around those things helps us. But we don't have to be, I mean, Ramana is in this book. He has had a huge impact on my life. And, and I think the energy of the words of the teachers in the book are, are what I believe will help people a lot. And, and I'm not surprised that you, from the energy and from the words, that you felt kind of transported back to there. Mm. Um, there was, you know, I've, I mean, the book was just released uh, yesterday here in the US. And, and so it's very fresh and very new. Um, but there's one person that I felt, oh, my gosh, when I met her, I was like, this person is going to hear it, they're going to see it, and their life is going to change dramatically the way mine did. I could just feel it in her and in, in this person, and she'd been through some tough things. And so I gave her a copy of the book, and she read it last Friday night into Saturday and reached out to me, and she was just, that was it. Her life had completely changed, you know, and um, and she keeps texting me every day and she's just, like, so happy and free and feels so free and um, so I know that's going to happen to people through this book. I definitely know it. And uh, and then there might be somebody who gets it and they might start to read a couple of pages and put it on the bookshelf and then something really tough happens in their life and then they reach back for the book and then they see it all and they're free. And mm. so, you know, it's, it, just, it just depends. It's so amazing that you did all of that. I mean, <laughs> all that cross-legged stuff. I mean, that's really great. But don't you agree, you know, that it takes, it takes you know, it's, it's unique. It's not everybody is prepared to do that. No. And I didn't stick with it. That's the thing that I think is interesting because it takes a lot of commitment um, and I suppose a lot of that wisdom and a lot of those that awareness that I would have um, experienced is there in the words of your book. I, I do think some people will be ready for it and some people won't. I think that's probably a good way to put it. And and you sound quite happy about that. But but uh, finally, Rhonda, your um, life has changed dramatically since you read The Signs of Getting Rich. You, you presumably have got very rich in the end <laughs> after selling all those books. But I, I, but I imagine the material thing isn't so much the big goal for you. Jim Carrey said that he wished everybody could experience fame and wealth because if they did, then they would know that happiness doesn't come from those things and they would look elsewhere. And, uh, and so you, we can all enjoy material things. They're great. They're a lot of fun. It's, you know, they make life easier, all those kinds of things. And you know, and I I do have an abundant life, but I also fought my way there as well. I want everybody to know, you know, I had a I had a really lackful mindset and I did think my way there. And it was separate from the secret because I knew when I was making the secret that I had a lackful mindset because that was what was showing up in my life. That was what caused the accountant to say you're gonna be two million dollars in debt and lose everything. So I had to shift my mind from that mindset to a more prosperous mindset. And, um, and so I was diligent because I knew for the secret to change the world, I needed to do that. And, and I did do it. And I know if I can do it, anybody can do it. But now material things, no, you're right. The happiness is just, the happiness is everything because you are not any longer 
striving for something in the future to make you happy because the happiness that you've always wanted is right here and you woke up with it. And that means that every single moment is precious and every interaction with every person is beautiful and the love that you feel for the people around you is heaven. And, and you just don't get irritated by anything anybody does or whatever happens. You're just like, okay. You know, Krishnamurti said, and I've got the quote in the book, Krishnamurti said that my secret is that I don't mind what happens. And, and you know, people might think, oh, that's impossible, you know. And I would have thought that too. I think when I first read that quote, I was like, well, I'm, I'm nowhere near that. I'm nowhere near that because I really do mind what yeah. happens. But now I don't mind what happens, you know. I'm just so happy. I don't need something to happen to be happy. And, uh, and so I'm happy and I, and I think... Uh, you know, that can be the case for the case for, for whoever really, really wants it. I think the moment that you want to be free of suffering, you'll do it. And my final question is, and maybe an observation, I suppose, about your book, is that in this very strange year when people are suffering so much um, and don't feel in control of their circumstances or of their happiness and there's so much fear around. Would you say the message in your book is that there's much more inside of us than we imagine that can help with all of these things and that we have the resources to create a life without fear and a life of happiness, pandemic or no pandemic? Oh, that's so beautifully said. <laughs> that is so beautifully said because absolutely every single word that you said is true. Um, we do not have to live uh, in fear and we can have happiness no matter whether there's a pandemic or not a pandemic. And the thing about life is this, it's always going to throw up things and surprise us, you know, because life is designed for us to, to go home and to realize the truth. And so there are going to be challenges that will arise. And just at this particular time, it's a, it's a particular uh, manifestation of something that's affected everybody uh, around the globe. But whatever appears disappears in, in the material world. Nothing stays. And so it will pass. It will be gone. There will be a future where it's not there anymore. Um, but it is an opportunity for all of us. And I, and I, think because of the degree of fear that people have felt it's and the amount of suffering therefore that they have felt and are feeling because of the fear is the perfect time for them to be able to change the course of their life because things are going to come up and appear and if I think about my life there have been lots of times in my life where I thought the world was going to end you know that 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 somebody had their button on the atomic bomb and there have been that many world situations where we went through things where we we just thought we were all done for and you know those things are always going to continue and so when the pandemic's gone, you know, there'll be something else around. But now is the opportunity to live a life without fear and to, and to have the happiness that is, is within you. And, uh, and it's not hard to do. It's not hard. It's really simple. It's just a little one step at a time. It's just one step. And, and then when something comes along, you will find yourself in this peaceful happiness and you will marvel, absolutely marvel, at how you feel through something. You will be clear-minded. You will not be confused. You will know when to act, when not to act. There will be nothing in the way, no confusion. Nobody will, will frighten you. You will have absolute clarity because absolute clarity is also your true nature and certainty is your true nature and safety and security is your true nature. And so we will never have safety and security from the world because the world is always changing. And so if we look for our safety and security there, we're going to get bumped. And I think a lot of people got bumped this year and they thought they had safety and security and they found that they didn't. But that is a gift for us 
to, to sort of have us realise we are looking in the wrong direction for happiness, we're looking in the wrong direction for certainty, and we're looking in the wrong direction for safety and security. Well, it's been lovely talking to you, Rhonda Byrne, and I think, like you say, the book might not be for everybody, but I think it definitely is for a lot of people, and we really appreciate your time today. That's all we have time for. The Greatest Secret by Rhonda Byrne is out now and I do think it's worth looking at and even a flick through in the bookshop. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, and by Jennifer Ryan and Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves and I'll talk to you next time. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.